Well, <coughs> excuse me. Tonight uh, we're going to look at one of the most significant chapters in the Old Testament. And uh, I know that's the kind of thing that people like me say at the beginning of a sermon to try and get your attention. And yet this evening, it really is true. Uh, The crossing of the Red Sea, uh, it's more important than Columbus crossing the Atlantic. It's more important than Caesar crossing the Rubicon. It's more important than Washington crossing the Delaware. Uh, In fact, in many ways, it is the, the big event in Old Testament history. Because a people who were trapped, uh, a people who faced certain death, they're rescued. Uh, They're given a brand new existence. And maybe even as I say that, you can begin to see why it's so significant. The events of Exodus 14, they describe what happened to God's people long ago. And yet what happened to Israel has happened to us. We may not have passed through the sea, but every Christian has experienced a deliverance like this. And as we look at this chapter, we're going to think of it as a drama. Uh, It's very dramatic, isn't it? Which seems appropriate. But a drama in three acts. And the acts, they take place in three locations. They take place at the sea. They take place in the sea. They take place on the other side of the sea. And as we look at verses 1 to 12, here's our first point tonight. Here's the first point, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, verses 1 to 12. Behind the scenes. Well, this is a drama. And back in the good old days of uh, DVDs, you would sometimes get, wouldn't you, uh, bonus material. You'd sometimes get uh, inside the kind of cover of the DVD, you'd get an extra disc. And that extra disc, it would have, what would it have, like interviews with the cast, or maybe it would show you glimpses of the set, uh, the production team, that kind of thing. In one sense, that's what the opening verses of chapter 14 do. I think they take us behind the scenes, and they show us what's really going on in this chapter. They make clear that it's not Pharaoh, it's not Moses, it's not the Israelites who are the main character in this dramatic event. No, it's God himself. And we see this from the very first verse. God speaks to Moses and God tells Moses what to do. God tells him what will happen and God tells him why it will happen. And I think you and I, we can often skip over this kind of thing. We can often miss this. Because the fact that God is like this is really important. Imagine a world where God was just a victim of events. Imagine a world where God was just like you and me, watching our favorite TV program, wondering what would happen next, wondering what's going to happen in the next episode. If that was what the world was like, well, life would be absurd, wouldn't it? Um, A God like that would be no God at all. And our lives, they would have no sense of ultimate security. But thankfully, wonderfully, that's not the case. God tells Moses, look at the uh, opening verses. God tells Moses that his people are to turn back a little. They're to, they're to encamp at a certain spot near the sea. And if that seems kind of confusing, that is the point. The idea here seems to be that this is going to kind of draw Pharaoh in. 
It's going to make Pharaoh think that God's people are confused. But verse 4, it shows us the difference between appearance and reality. Look at that verse. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Now, it's really important to say something we've said a few times in this series. That word harden in verse 4, it really means strengthen. It's a word that can be used positively and negatively. And so what it means here is that God is going to give Pharaoh the resolve, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the resolve to do what they wanted to do. That they will do this all so that God will get the glory and the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. And it's exactly what happens, isn't it? In verses 5 to 9, what God said would happen, happens. And it all starts with a question in verse 5. Pharaoh reflects on what's happened. He starts to think. He starts to wonder, what on earth was I thinking? And then the chariots, then the army start their pursuit. We're not told the exact number. But it must have been terrifying, wasn't it? Pharaoh has got God's people in his sights. He's got God's people trapped in a corner. Israel are between a rock and a hard place. They look doomed. And yet these verses, they teach us that God is always working his purposes out. God is always working according to a plan. And I think they remind us that God often allows, he often lets situations escalate. God often allows situations to progress, to advance, to get worse. And he often allows that to happen for purposes that we may not know about. And that's why, of course, isn't it, we need the eyes of faith. You see, look at the response of God's people Uh, Down in verses 10 uh, to 12, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their heads, their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they greatly feared. Uh, When I read that, it it reminded me of a story we read about in 2 Kings chapter 6. It's when one of God's servants is, he, he sees his city surrounded by the chariots of an enemy, But then what happens? Elisha prays, doesn't he? And his eyes are opened. And he sees the hills. He sees them full of horses, full of chariots of fire. See, as God's people, we often feel like that, don't we? We often feel like the Israelites in verses 11 and 12. Why have we bothered? God has abandoned us. What's the point to being a Christian? And people who have known God's, his real help in the past, people like that can often feel that their life, their future is over. And some of you are in that place tonight, or some of you know people in that place this evening, fearful. Uh, The circumstances of your life are causing you to question God's purposes. And yet this passage, it shows us that sometimes a trapped people, they are exactly 
where God wants them to be. Uh, sometimes when everything looks like it's over, God is about to bring a new beginning. And you and I, we need to ask God's help to trust him in moments like that. But I think there's, a, there's another kind of layer to these verses. If this, this chapter is a picture of the rescue that you and I uh, have experienced too, I think it shows us our predicament. It shows us our predicament before we were redeemed. The Bible's so clear, isn't it? We were helpless. We were like these Israelites. We were trapped. We were lost. We were dead. And that's exactly when God came to save us. And God waited. God could have decided, couldn't he, to destroy humanity after Genesis 3. But God didn't do that. No, if you like, God allowed a situation to escalate. He allowed for human history. He decided to work on a, a great big canvas. And then he came to redeem. Listen to Paul. For while we were still weak, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son to set us free from slavery. So this passage, it takes us behind the scenes. Behind the scenes. But that's not the only place I want us to look uh, this evening. In verses 13 to 25, we don't so much see behind the scenes. We see between the walls. Between the walls. Verses 13 to 25, between the walls. Now, when I first looked at these uh, verses, I was really helped by an idea from one author, one of the commentators. He said that verses 13 to 25, what they show us, they show us the difference between being a witness and a participant. A witness and a participant. And uh, the kids here this evening, you'll know the difference between these two things. Um, some of you will have, uh, I don't know, like school shows and things coming up. It's that time of year, isn't it? And uh, nativities, all that kind of stuff. There is a big difference, isn't there? To being on the stage and having to sing and being in the audience. And one of those things requires lots of effort. One of those things requires lots of practice and rehearsals. And the other doesn't, unless you're, I guess, unless you're a parent, of course, you're having to kind of go through it all beforehand. But look at what Moses says in verse 13. He says, fear not. He says, stand firm. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And I think in that verse, in verse uh, 13, uh, I think those, those words see and those wor- that word he, they're so important, aren't they? They change this event. God is saying it will be something that I do for you. It will be something you don't make a contribution to. The Lord will fight, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Now, I think you and I, we often uh, find this kind of idea difficult when we think about our, our faith and being saved and so on. We don't always find the idea of being saved by grace amazing. 
You and I, we naturally think as human beings that we need to do something to earn it, to merit it. And this passage, it points to something else. It makes really clear, God will do it. God will do this and they will see it. And it reminds me of Jonah, what Jonah said at the bottom of the sea, didn't he? Salvation is from the Lord. But I think there's a flip side too. Can you see what Moses says uh, at the end of verse 13 there? He points out that as God's people are saved, as they see their own salvation, they will also see God's judgment on his enemies. In fact, there's something they won't see, isn't there? The Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And in God's word, these two realities, they always go hand in hand. The idea of God's judgment, the idea of God's salvation. Think of Noah. Think of the story of Rahab. Think of the Passover. Think of the return of the Lord Jesus. As God comes in salvation, God also comes in judgment. And you and I, we cannot have one of those things without the other. We cannot have the the salvation without the edge to it. See, in verse 15 to 18, God tells Moses what will happen. The Israelites are to move forward. Moses is to lift up his staff. He's to, to stretch out his hand. And the sea is going to part. And as God's people go through, God says he will harden the heart of Pharaoh still further. And he will do all of this so that the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. And again, verses 19 to 25, what God said would happen, well, it happens. Now just look at the way God protects his people. Look how he kind of, he kind of shuts them in. The angel of the Lord, verse 20, uh, leads them. But look what happens to the pillar. The pillar kind of comes round behind them in verse 20. And as the sea divides, uh, the people, they walk through. They walk between these two walls. Walls of water on their right and on their left. And it must have been an astonishing experience, mustn't it? It would have been something they would never, ever have forgotten. Now, I think there's real parallels here uh, with the Passover. Um, I suspect there were some people in that that group, as they walked through, they were like really confident. uh, Really pumped up, that kind of thing. But uh, I'm sure there were also lots of people who were terrified you know, as they kind of took the first, they put their, their, their foot in, in the, in the, uh, on the ground, they started to walk through. Maybe they got to the middle. Or maybe they, got, they could kind of see the end. Uh, they must have been terrified, wasn't they? They must have wondered, what's going to happen? Could these walls collapse on us? And yet, no matter how they felt about the situation, whether they had loads of faith whether they felt really confident or whether they felt really terrified, all of them made it across. Because what mattered was not how confident they felt, 
but who their confidence was in. And I think the same is, the same is true for us. Sometimes people say, don't they? They say, you know, I, I wish I had your faith. And it's like, I wish I had your car. But we're not saved by the strength of our trust in God, are we? We're saved by God. And faith, it's believing that reality. Sometimes our faith feels really weak. Sometimes our faith feels really small. Sometimes suffering, it makes us think that God has kind of lost us. We feel like we're just clinging on, don't we? And yet what we need to remember in those moments is that God's grip of us, God's grip of us is absolutely certain. And when through deep waters God calls us to go, well, you and I, we need to remember that he will keep hold of us. See, what does Isaiah say? He says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And you and I are just like the Israelites. You and I were called to place our trust in God. We're called to take him at his word. We're called to believe that he will save us. And that one day he will bring us. He'll bring us across another, another sea. He'll take us to another shore. And he'll take us into heaven itself. And this might seem like a really strange thing to say, but I think there is something that you and I do every day, in fact, every night, that can actually help us to get ready. Because as you and I, as we fall asleep at night, in a sense, what we're doing is we're practicing for the moment of our death. We're relinquishing control, aren't we, when we fall asleep? We're placing ourselves in God's gracious hands. That's what happens when we fall asleep. We trust that there's a God who watches over us. And it will be the same as you and I die. As we're on our deathbeds, we will be able to say to the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit. Into your nail-pierced hands. And as we close our eyes, what what will happen? We'll open them again, won't we? And we'll see his face. And we'll see a face smiling back at us, full of love. And that's a great comfort tonight, isn't it? Great comfort to those of us who've lost loved ones. And great comfort as we get older, as we, 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 we keep going in our Christian pilgrimage. That's the goal. That's, what we'll, that's who we'll see one day. So this passage, it takes us behind the scenes, it takes us uh, between the walls. But there's a third place I want us to look this evening uh, as we look at chapter 14. Behind the scenes, between the walls, here's the third thing, beneath the waves. Beneath the waves. See, in verses 26 to 31, we read of how God's enemies were judged. And despite their great might, despite their belief that they were about to crush God's people, what happens to them? Well, they end up beneath the waves, don't they? In fact, that's not completely right. It kind of doesn't quite tie in with my 
nice attempt at a sermon outline behind the scenes, between the walls, beneath the waves. It's not, it's not quite that, is it? See, so look at verse 30. Israel sees the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And to quote the psalmist, they look in triumph on their foes. They'd seen the great power, verse 31, that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And as a result, they did two things. They feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, this was not the first time, uh, think about this, this was not the first time God had split water. Uh, The very first chapter of the Bible, it shows us uh, God, doesn't it, who, who controls the uncontrollable. And what does God do in Genesis 1? God brings order out of chaos. God separates the waters. God makes life possible. And yet, as Scripture moves on, uh, the sea, water, it becomes associated with death. The sea becomes a place of chaos, a place of violence, a place of uncertainty. And that's why, of course, isn't it? There's no longer any sea in the, the vision at the end of the Bible that, uh, that Simon spoke about at the weekend away. But actually, if you read Exodus... If you read chapters 1 to 14, you'll, you'll notice something. You'll see a connection. You'll see a connection between Egypt and between water and between death. Maybe you can remember chapter 2. What happens to Moses? Moses is rescued from the water. And here, God's people, chapter 14, they are rescued through water. And so the whole story of Israel in Egypt, it's kind of bracketed by these two events. Water rescues. In fact, some people have said that it's almost as if the Israelites, it's almost as if they've been underwater the whole time. Uh, Elsewhere in scripture, Pharaoh is compared to a sea monster. And so often in scripture, what's the phrase? Going down to Egypt. And these people have been taken up and out of Egypt, haven't they? They've been taken up and out of a deathly existence. And they've been given a brand new life. And friends, that is exactly what God has done for us. God has taken you and I, he's taken us up from the depths. C.S. Lewis, he's got a a lovely image of this. Listen to this. He's speaking really about the incarnation here. And he says, one may think of a diver, He's, he's talking about Jesus. One may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through the increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. 
And C.S. Lewis says, in a way, that, that's a kind of picture of what Jesus has done. Jesus has gone down. He's gone right down into depths, depths of death, depths of our sin. He's gone down to rescue us. And yet it's even more than that. Because the New Testament is really clear. All who trust in Jesus, all who've trusted in him, have gone down into the depths with him. They've gone down with him and they've come up with him. See, we died with him. And we rose with him. And so listen to Romans 6. Don't you know... I mean, Paul seems to think this is kind of stuff we should all know. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Friends, this is the wonderful reality of our union with Christ. We're so bound to Jesus that absolutely nothing can separate us from him. Our lives, our stories, they've been wrapped up in his story. And God has done all of this for his own glory. His own glory. This idea of God's glory, it's, it's a kind of repeated re, uh, refrain in our chapter. It's there in verse 4. It's in verse uh, 17 and, and verse 18 as well. And God's glory, God's glory is the ultimate ground of our assurance this evening. God's plan of salvation, it's always for his glory. God cho- chose to rescue you and me. He didn't Uh, He did it for his name's sake. And it's actually a great assurance this evening. God didn't save you and me because we were lovely or worthy. God didn't look at us and think, they're the kind of people that will be able to kind of keep up appearances as Christians. No, God chose to save us for a very different reason, didn't he? And Paul makes this so clear in Ephesians One, look at it uh, later, but Ephesians 1, maybe you can remember the first 14 verses of that chapter. Uh, I wasn't very good at Greek at ETS, but I know this, okay, in the Greek it's one long sentence, Ephesians 1, 1 to 14, and it's almost as if Paul, he's so excited about what God has done that he can't get the words out quick enough. And just like our chapter, there's a repeated refrain, to the praise of his glory. So why did God elect us? Why did God adopt us? Why did God redeem us? Was it, was it because he thought we were the kind of people that we were worth having on his team? Well, no, God did all that. God saved you and me. He did that for his glory. God did it to make known how good, how gracious he is. He saved us so that we might boast not in ourselves, but in him. And so as God shows us behind the scenes, as God walks us through the walls, as we see his enemies beneath the waves, 
Well, there's only one response, isn't there? That we don't need to open our eyes. We need to open our mouths. And that's the next chapter. But we don't have to wait till next week, do we? No, we can start singing right now. So let's pray together.